This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Randy Frisch wants you to know something. He doesn't hate content marketing. Randy just believes that if you're going to invest your time and resources into something, you should probably make it memorable. The idea there was not that we shouldn't create content. It wasn't that I hate content marketers. It was more so that there's no value in creating all this content if it's not going to get used, if it's not going to get found. Randy is the CMO and co-founder of Uberflip, an experienced marketing platform that is empowering marketers to create remarkable content by surfacing the right thing at the right time. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Randy discusses what content experiences are and how marketers can better leverage their content to create lasting impressions on buyers. Plus, he explains why your personalization efforts are not as good as you think they are. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey marketers, today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever, and every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy, and you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account, speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every dash buyer. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest, Randy. How are you? Great, Ian. Good to see you virtually again. Yeah, I know. I, was, I should say recurring guest uh, since we had you on uh, what feels like a million years ago. Absolutely. On our on-site uh, Marketing Trends adventure when we were at Serious Decisions uh, years ago. So good to have you you back for uh, for a full session here. So. We will get started with our normal question, which is, how did you get started in marketing in the first place? Absolutely. I will hit on that. And I'm just thinking back to that event. We were in like a glass bubble. Can you imagine that today? Wow. <laughs> I know. Uh, we were probably uh, <laughs> with us and and shout out to, uh, to Jonah, who was producing the episode, who sat with me. I think we did 18 episodes in like two and a half days uh, in our in our little glass case of emotion. Yes, glass cases are not what we jump in these days, but we'll get back there soon, I hope. As for how I got into marketing and into glass bubbles like that, I, listen, I, I always wanted to be a marketer. Like as a kid, I thought Super Bowl commercials were cool. And somewhere along the way that morphed into thinking B2B marketing was cool. I don't know how that happened exactly. But you know, for me, I, I started at a big company and I, I had whatever marketing gig I could get. But you know, it was a big consumer company. I learned a ton there. Company was Rubbermaid. You probably have a Rubbermaid product in your house where I know the SKU number. It's kind of scary. But you know, for me, I wanted to be more part of transformation. And to me, I look back at what made me a good marketer was my ability to be quick, to be nimble you know, go back to like, you know, school and marketing classes. Everyone wanted me in their class because I could rock a PowerPoint presentation. Like I was that guy you wanted in your group for that reason. But I mean, PowerPoint was just, you know, technology for marketers to make presentations look good. And, you know, the more I got into my 
you know, jobs, you know, if you will, early part of my career, I found that a lot of the tech just didn't make it as easy as PowerPoint did. Now, I mean, there's better solutions than PowerPoint today, you could argue, but, you know, that's what really pushed me to get into the tech side of it, but with a passion around marketing and, and ultimately what Uberflip became. Yes. Yeah, so for our listeners who, who weren't around back then, uh, can you give us a, an overview of, of where you're at today for Uberflip? Absolutely. Uh, so if you haven't heard about Uberflip, think of us uh, as getting involved in, in getting content into the right hands of the right buyer at the right time. And, you know, we ultimately believe, and I do passionately as a marketer, that we've got to personalize the experience that every buyer gets. And, you know, when you think about it, Ian, you know, 10 years ago, you know, back in, I don't know, say 2010 or so, when we would get an email from like some big company, and it would say, hey, Randy, or hey, Ian, we'd think that was really cool, right? We'd be like, how in the world did this big company email me and know my name? Like, that was, that was pretty damn cool. But that eventually got to the point of not just not being cool, but you start pulling out your hair. You're like, how did I get on this person's list? How am I on this other big company's email list? Because we know that that is just pulling in a first name from a mail merge from some sort of database, some sort of marketing automation platform and emailing out at mass. And that idea of knowing my name, which was so cool 10 years ago now is such meat and potatoes. Like you better know my name. The reality is what we expect as buyers is we expect you to be able to solve our problems. You know, and, and we talk to a lot of marketers on my side, I get to talk to marketers all day long and it was really interesting. We did a study, you know, about a year ago. And what came out of that was we, we actually went and we spoke to marketers and we said, what does personalization mean to you? And they said, it's things like knowing the customer's name, you know, knowing the customer's company that they work from, knowing the industry, right? So when you think about it, a lot of the, you know, ads that we do online or a lot of the emails that we just talked about, they, they know the name. But when we actually asked that same question, what does personalization mean to you when we spoke to buyers? Their number one answer was not knowing my name, knowing my company. It was like knowing the problem I'm looking to solve. And that to me is what we try and do at Uberflip is help the marketer show that they can solve the problem. And the way we do that is not saying, I know your name. It's saying, I have content and I'm going to only show you the content that matters to you. Now, one of the best analogies that many of us can relate to in our lives is Netflix, right? You know, you open up Netflix and yes, they know your name. That's cool. But that's very 2010 cool. The cool part is that they've got, what, tens of thousands of movies and documentaries and movie and TV series now. But when I open it up, I only see, you know, 20 shows that are recommended to me. My kids see something else. My wife sees something else. You, Ian, would see something else. Everyone listening to this may be listening on their phone right now. And if they open up Netflix, they're going to see something unique. That's the experience that we believe at Uberflip. Every marketer's got to do when it comes to B2B or B2C marketing. And so with all those feelings, with all that emotion, you wrote a book talking about how content marketing is broken. Uh, can you share, share some info about that? Yes. Broken is a very uh, safe word. <laughs> I'll, I'll drop the F-bomb once. The, the book is called Content Marketing. And you know, from here on, I will not make make myself have to buy coffee for your production team and, and we'll just call it uh, you know flip content marketing or something like that. But the idea there was not that 
we shouldn't create content. It wasn't, you know, that I hate content marketers. I, I got a lot of questions about that, even from my own team at the time. It was more so that there's no value in creating all this content if it's not going to get used, if it's not going to get found. Let's think back to this Netflix example, right? If Netflix wasn't organizing their content and personalizing it, could you imagine logging into that thing and it being listed in alphabetical order? or chronologically based on what they posted last, we'd never find other related content in that way. And so many marketers, that's how they organize their content. And you're, you're sitting there saying, no, we don't do that. We all do it, right? You go to someone's website and they've got like this resource tab of some sort. And on there is all the content on the blog, often chronological, the latest post at the top. And then, you know, or we have breakout sections by all of our eBooks together, all of our videos together. That's not how we, we search for what we're looking for, right? We search, as we said before, by I have a problem, I'm looking to solve it. And that's the way that, that we have to think about adapting our marketing and our approach. Yeah, I, I totally agree. This is something I feel really passionate about as well. I've talked about on the show a bunch. I really, I agree with you. I think we put so much effort into content marketing to create like subpar quality things and then drop them in a place where nobody, where it's not a destination that people would actually ever go. And I think a lot of times there's no pathway to even find that stuff. There's no like resurfacing of, of your best stuff. You know, like I would love to go to a resource page and, and some companies do obviously do this well. And we'll get into some examples of companies that are doing this well. Like, what is the best thing you've ever done? Like, what is your best piece of content? Now, to your point, what I think the best piece of content that, you know, Uber Flip has done, for example, is going to be different from what or what, what should be served to me will be different based off of, you know, somebody else's opinion of, of what they need the most. But I'm pretty sick of going to places and wading through, you know, mountains of, of stuff to, uh, you know, to get to the, to the most, you know, choicey bits and, and morsels that we really want. And I think that that is like a fundamental, fundamental problem, right? Absolutely. It's like, we know which our, win our, our winners are. We know which, you know, are the things that, that we've done. And then the other piece to this is like, nobody is going to your blog and just like cruising around. Yeah. Like nobody wakes up every day and is like, yeah, I'm going to go to Uber Flip's blog today and just like, you know, check it out and just cruise around. Like that's just not how, you know, things are, are found these days anyways. So like, why, why would we create that experience? It's so right. You're so right there. I mean, think about it this way. When is the last time any of you made it to page two of Google results? I mean, that's essentially what we're asking people to do when we don't put content on the first page of wherever we send them to. And when, I, when I say send them to, I mean, think about what you're doing daily as a marketer, where, where we put a lot of our focus and we're, we're all guilty of this because we we're always asked in a job interview as a marketer, you know, what, what's your go-to channels, right? It's a, it's a question I ask marketers too. I'm guilty of this too. And then someone will come in and they'll be like, oh, I'm big on email or I'm really good at ads, or I, I leverage social in really creative ways. But when, when you ask them to, to elaborate on that, they often talk about the work they're doing to personalize that channel delivery. So if we think about the email and we're sending an email through something like you know an exact target type product or, or a part out like product, when we 
send out that email, right? When someone gets that, that's really just this goal of attracting your attention, as I put it, right? And what we want them to do is we want them to click on that CTA. We want them to click on that button, that link, whatever it is. And we, we try and just put one, but then we've got to take them to this destination. And where we need to put our focus on, as you said, is ensuring that the same degree of customization that every marketer brags about that they put into that email or they put into the ad or they put into you know, some sort of direct mail execution that you're doing these days, that that same experience feels personalized when you go to the web page, because that's really where we get to track. I mean, that's the best opportunity for us to track engagement and start learning about the buyer and speed up the pace at which they do their research and binge on content. And a lot of you will say like, people aren't binging my content. That's often because we're not leading them to that next piece. You know, go back to our Netflix analogy. They do this awesome job at the end of each show of giving us like 12 seconds or whatever it is before the next episode starts. And that's like one of their coolest features that gets me to sit down and watch an entire season of Schitt's Creek on a weekend, right? It's, it's that feeling like I don't want to get out of my couch. We need to find a way as marketers to emulate that and bring that in to the experience that we serve up when we get someone to actually click on our ad. We want to send them not to just some ebook that's a dead end, but from there, we want to send them to a video or a blog post or whatever might come next. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the other point to that is I think that there's a lot of times where you have like that clunky handoff or or things that that don't really serve the purpose. Like I, I think of social media as things, and maybe this is kind of a Pandora's box to talk about social media at this point. But I think there's there's so much that is done on social media that it's like trying to drive engagement or like trying to drive like results back or trying to drive a click or or whatever when it should just be actually you know, using that medium to give them the information so that you become a place that people want to like seek you out and and hear your thoughts. And I think just like there's so much stuff where like marketers just like breadcrumb everything into, you know, go to this place, to this place, to like trying to get you kind of like down this funnel to take action, to do whatever. And I agree with all the stuff that you're saying about like, you know, leading them to the next thing. But at the same time, like you have to actually make the asset that they're in good. And I think like we skip that step. It's like, let's just, you know, give them, uh, you know, a listicle of seven things that they need to do to in- improve their APM campaigns. That's just like mostly bad uh, or uninteresting or written by somebody, yeah. you know, in an hour and, and, you know, hit send. And then it's like, you know, if you liked this, then you should also like, you know, seven habits that Elon Musk does and Elon Musk does every day uh, that you're going to love. It's like, are, what are we doing here? <laughs> like that's none of, none of this is actually interesting uh, material that's at all relevant. It's just kind of garbage. You're so right. I, I mean, you know, the first part that you hit on there is the content itself has to be great, right? I mean, you know, you can keep going back to this Netflix analogy. If it's, if it's a crappy pilot, you know, then I go and I find something else. I don't even make it like three minutes into that episode before I, I go to find more content. And then you've lost me. But I, I think what you were hitting on there that's really important is once we've got great content, the only way I'm going to get you to the next is if I think about the entire experience. And when, when I wrote the book, you know, we'll, we'll use a different word, fudge content marketing. 
and you know, the, the next point was to focus on content experience. To me, content experience is this idea of going beyond the content and creating an experience around it. And there's, there's certain things that I talk about most often when, when I hit on that, including the environment, the structure, and the way we engage people. And you think about what that's suggesting, you know, the environment is the look, the feel. I mean, it's, it's one thing to have great content, but it's the container it lives within that really brings it to life and gets us comfortable to continue to, to look around. The, you know, the structure, as we said, is, is making sure the next piece of content is actually something relevant, right? You know, you gave a good example of one that, that wouldn't get me to click next. So we've got to know our buyer. And that to me is, is us starting to think about how do we use technology altogether, right? How do we ensure in a very simple view of, of guiding a customer experience, three things I, I think about with my team. The first plain and simple is we need data, right? We need to understand who we're trying to sell to, who they are. And there's great platforms out there that help with intent. And, you know, there's new CDP type platforms coming up that, that are going to really take, you know, what marketing automation is, is done, you know, to the next level, I think in the next, you know, five, 10 years, even, even in the market, even in the B2B space. So that first piece is data. Once we know who we're after, then, as we just said before, we got to leverage channels, right? We're going to use emails, we're going to use ads, we're going to use social, we're going to use PR. All these things are done to grab our buyer's attention. And then the last thing that we get to do, right, is, as we said, make sure that when they click on the link in any of those channels, they're sent to a destination. And the destination, to me, is where it's got to be engaging. It's got to be worth sticking around. Otherwise, to your point, you know, I've got options that I can jump back to. And I'll, I'll pick up on your social point. I, I don't know if you've ever done this and everyone's listening probably on, the, on their mobile device. So you can do this, just don't stop the podcast, okay? So, you know, open up something like Twitter, right? You know, every tweet that you pretty much engage with from a company has some sort of body of text, but ultimately like the real value I say in that is the link, right? It's like, click here. And what that link does usually on mobile devices, it, it kind of opens up, you know, a panel to the right, right? You know, it slides to the right. Now, if I'm doing research and, you know, buying an Apple watch, right? Something I bought in the last year or so, and I go on Apple to, you know, or I go on Twitter to go find that research, I go over to that panel to the right. And as you said, Ian, like it's very tempting just to click. If you look at the UI right now, there's an X in the top left-hand corner because you're kind of in this iframe container. And the idea there is to jump back into Twitter's infinite scroll because they just want you to engage on Twitter. What we need to do, we need to find ways to hack that to get you to stick around on my site and make it feel like I can customize what's next for you. And, and there's ways to hack that, that that I've seen done well, but we've got to think beyond the content piece and think about that entire experience to do so. I love the idea of content experience. It puts words to something. And I know it's, 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 it's simple and an elegant way of thinking about things, but I, I totally dig this because if you look at like, just take a random website, um, like a random news website, I don't know, somebody that we could pick on, like maybe Forbes or something like that. You think part of the problem with their with their content experience of, of somebody like that is how many pop-ups are they going to throw at you? Where are the ads? What are the ad units doing? I was on a website the other day where like the ad unit, every time it would change, the size would change. I'm like, this is like a, this is like a, a, a like 
top 100 publisher. And it was like change where I was in the article based off of this ad unit changing. I'm like, what is going on right now? It's a horrible content experience. There's no through line. Their only goal is to get me to click on more stuff to serve more ads. I mean, you know, hopefully it's to enjoy what I'm reading. But the content experience is horrible. You compare that to something like a podcast, which I think about all the time because obviously we make podcasts. But you think about the difference in terms of, and like Apple, Apple's podcast player is notoriously like pretty bad. Um, but even still, if you think about Apple's podcast player, what is it? It is just a stream of just content that you're going to get. And you can look at uh, the different episode titles. You can pr- pretty quickly go through it. It is, you know, it is based off of time, which isn't great. So there's not a lot of opportunities to do, you know, other things like most listened to episode and things like that, that you wish you could probably do. But at least it's like a, a coherent feed. And then when, once you get into an episode, you have like an expectation, there's show notes, there's like the, the audio sound, there's the quality, there's like a, hopefully you're listening to a show that has a consistent format and the way that they do things. You like, you compare those two experiences and like one is extremely disjointed. There's no, uh, there's no like linear following of where you should go or what should be next. And the other one is extremely clear and concise. And it's because it's like manicured and it's created in a way that you can do that stuff. And I think that the best content experiences are that way, are the way where it's like a Netflix show, um, where it's like a podcast, where it's something where you have a clear expectation between the listener or the reader or the viewer of what they're going to get and what comes next. And I just feel like there's so much stuff out there that is the exact opposite of that, where you have no understanding or expectation of what could come to. And therefore, all of that means is you're just not going to subscribe, right? Absolutely. Where it's, you know, you listen to, uh, you know, a minute and 30 seconds of a podcast and you're like, okay, I, I can subscribe to this. I know what I'm going to get into. You, you go, go watch a webinar and you're like, actually, hey, I like these. I, I, I want to subscribe to getting more of these webinars. Like th- there's an expectation there. And I feel like so often we're just going to chase this, this never ending, like, you know, more and more and more and get them farther to, to click on all this different stuff where it's like, it just makes no sense. You're dead on. And, and I think, you know, I, obviously we're passionate about this as, as you said, you, you create podcasts, you know, we're both passionate about content, but I, I think this is something, you know, I know there's probably a lot of CMOs listening to this or people who have the ear of their CMO. And I think the, the, what content experience allows us to do is actually increase the value of content. And I come back to the book I wrote, right? And I got a lot of flack at first as to like, are you telling content marketers that you don't have value? Are you saying content doesn't have value? But let's be honest, there's, there's a lot of people who feel that way, that they question the value of content at some times. And I often laugh at the idea that, you know, you're much more likely to see a marketer obsess over the, even a CMO obsess over the open rates of an email versus the engagement on actual content assets, right? And that's so bizarre to me, but what we can do when we start to think about content experience, we can actually start to, as we said, speed up that, that path to purchase. And that's, all, that's what we're all trying to do, right? Our content is there for the buyer to make it easier for them to research, for make it, to make it easier for them to come to that conclusion. You know, and there's a, a stat that I always turn to because I, I, I think, very basically at math sometimes. 
I don't try and complicate things too much, but this stat came from, I think it was Gartner and it was something along the lines that it was, it was 80 something percent. I apologize. I don't know the exact number, 80 something percent of the time that they're making their evaluation is done reading content. Now we've seen ones before that are like 60% until they speak to sales you know, they're 60% of the way through the research yeah. on their own. But this is like, even after they speak to sales, they're still looking for content. I think it, it was something like, you know, 84% or something like that. And what's interesting to me about that, as I said, from a math perspective, is the rest of that time is spent speaking to sales reps, which isn't a lot, but that's really valuable time. So the way I think about it mathematically is I want to get my buyer to spend at least 42% of that time doing research with my research, because yeah. there should be a correlation to from that to the amount of time they decide to as to which sales rep they're going to speak to. There's always two sales reps involved from different companies, if not three, that are being evaluated. So if I can earn the most research time, then I should get the most time with the sales rep and I should get the deal. And to me, that's the part that, that we need to start looking towards is how do I increase the time? How do I increase the speed at which someone gets through this content? Because that's when they start to trust me versus my competitors. I love that. That's really interesting. So, and I want to get to some examples of folks that are doing things like this, but to, to solidify that. So I haven't really seen this a ton, but um, I wonder if, if you've seen people be more purposeful about that kind of 42% of time that you're talking about where you have, you know, option A, you go to somebody's website and it's like, hey, don't really want to talk to sales uh, and want to do all of the research on your own. Like, here's the seven, you know, seven things that you should probably like take a look at as it, as it relates to, you know, why you should go into our product. Like if you spend, you know, if you're going to do whatever, three hours of research on your own, like, I would probably go, you know, do one, two, and three for sure. Four and five if you have time, six and seven if you're feeling really, really hungry. Or, you know, option B, just literally talk to sales and they can, you can have a more detailed, you know, conversation about your exact needs and, and how we could fit into that. And then another thing is like timelining their timeline with pieces of content. And I don't see a lot of this either, where it's like, this is your timeline. This is where the content fits on your timeline. Like you're probably in self-discovery mode uh, or discovery mode. This is the cluster of content you should have in discovery mode. Okay. You're in consideration mode. This is the cluster of content you should have in consideration mode. Like, oh, you're trying to get, you know, you're trying to win, win your boss's signature on the dotted line. This is probably a closing piece of content that you should send them that they should check out because they assume that you've already done that type of work. Have you seen those sort of things? Am I off base there? It's a great suggestion. And it's, it's something that we do on our team. We actually, uh, we have a service that will actually work with some of our customers. It's, it's more of a, an expert service with some great marketers we have on our team who will get involved. And the way we teach people to do this is, is interesting. It's very simple. It's, it's actually not technology. We, we will be building this into our technology down the road because it's been so successful. But it's, it's starting with a spreadsheet. So crazy idea to start with the spreadsheet. I always say like, you can do amazing things with Excel still. You think I'm like a Microsoft spokesperson here. I swear I'm not. Uh, so the, when we think of this spreadsheet, the first thing we should have, if you consider the rows, 
would be our different buyers. Now, our different buyers could be personas, they could be verticals, they could even be accounts. And as you said, there's different buyers at different stages. Sometimes you need to get the CFO at a later stage to get on side to, you know, to get your deal over that procurement hurdle. Then you think about the columns. And to me, the columns are your uh, stages of the buyer journey. So if we thought about it very simply, you know, your, your column B is going to be something along the lines of awareness. And you know, somewhere down in column D, E, or F, you may have something like you know, purchase. And then when you think about the intersect, so let's say you have a buyer and you're at the awareness stage, then you've got this cell open there that sits in the middle of this spreadsheet. That's where, as you said, Ian, you should be filling in what content does that person need? Now, if I could add a Z column to this amazing spreadsheet and some sort of filter, it might be thinking about the channel on which they'd engage with that. Is it through email? Is it through social? Where can I find them? And then in turn, what content will I deliver based on what channel have I used to, to grab their attention? When we start to map it that way, number one, it forces us to take index of what content we have and how we can use that content. Number two, sometimes it'll actually help us prioritize what content we should create next. And we're all in this terrible cycle of, well, I got to create three blog posts a week and two videos a month. You know, maybe that's not what you need right now. Maybe what you need is to fill in some of these cells by prioritizing which ones are really going to move the needle with certain buyers in certain stages of the journey. What are some great examples of companies that you're working with that are, that are using Uberflip to, to do some of this? Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And it, I think it comes back to you know, this point you said earlier, which is, are people really going to come to our website and look around to find the content? I, I don't think that's realistic anymore. You know, people don't just come to your website and look around. We've, we've got to feed it to them. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. One that's done a, a really good job around account-based marketing, which I, which I know is a, a big focus for a lot of marketers. I mean, it's no longer a buzzword. It's, it's just part of everyone's strategy is really targeting the right accounts. We know that's what ABM is about. It's the accounts that should buy from us. The problem is a lot of ABM talk to date has been about picking the right accounts, and you know, aligning our sales team to go after them. But what we ignore next is how do we actually engage them? How do we show them, as we talked about earlier, that we can solve their problems? So one of the great examples is, is a company called Snowflake. And we've had some amazing marketers you know, who we've worked with there over the last three, four years, like Daniel and now Hillary. And what they've done is they've really set up, first of all, time to understand who their buyer is. And you know, by understanding who they are, what vertical they're coming from, what industry, what pains they have, and taking time ahead, though, to, to really tag content properly, they can pick the right assets that they want to use for each and every account. So when they go and they throw up one of these ads that we talked about earlier that's highly personalized, they make sure that if someone clicks on that ad, it takes them to a destination with content that's handpicked in the very same way. Now, that's a cool way that marketing's taking the lead, ensuring that their air cover is helping. But you know, I chatted with Hillary there uh, a few months ago. We did, we did a fun talk together. And she said, now they're getting to the point where it's aligning with sales reps. And when we think about that, that's where we have to start to, to say, okay, well, marketing is going to have their air cover, but sales reps are going to be going back and forth in the moment. And we need to make sure that sales rep can also send people to the right piece of content. 
in that moment. Yeah. I, um, I think it's an important differentiation too for sales reps right now, because, uh, when you're creating these great things, there's like option a, which is your sales rep needs to know this stuff like cold, like they need to be able to answer any question that someone would have about that piece of content, like without having to link to it or B, they need to be able to surface that stuff like immediately. Absolutely. Like based off of like diagnose it and send that to them. Like, Hey, if you want further reading on this, like, I know we just talked about this, go check this out. Um, and then that way it's, it's written by marketing. I'm, I'm sure marketing probably prefers that they read the actual stuff that you wrote and spend a lot of time on. Yeah. Just a quick point on that. Like, yeah, I mean, we have to realize as well, I mean, we're, we're losing sleep over every step we make as marketers. And, and I'm not suggesting sales reps aren't, but they, they just don't have the same focus and same ability to whip up these emails that link to content that you just talked about, Ian, right? Like there's two things that I've gotten, you know, we, we all get endless outreach emails from people being sent to us, click here, click there. And there's two things that drive me nuts the most. One is I call it the black and blue email, right? It's like half black text, half blue hyperlink, right? Oh my goodness. Because they want you to click in like six spots, right? Because they've attached all these different articles and PDFs and things like that. And it's it's laughable. I mean, you, you even if you got me to click one of those, you expect me to come back to my inbox and not have six other emails competing with your six other links, I mean, I thought you were talking about the the black and purple email where it's like, you've already sent me all this stuff and you just copy and pasted half of it. Right. But no, no, yeah. The black and blue email, that's... Yeah, that, that's even worse when you can tell it's like different fonts and all that kind of stuff. Because well, Gmail will tell you when it's like text that's been repeated before. Absolutely. So it's like, or it'll even like shorten it. But yeah, no, when it's like 15 different links and you're like, you're like, I don't. Yeah. What, what do you want me to do? Right. Like yeah. as marketers, we know it's like, it's one, one CTA, one, you know, click here. And even companies that do this well, I, I had this company follow up with me after an event and they, they didn't send me the, the black and blue multiple hyperlinks. They sent me one. But when I clicked on that one link, right? It was, it was to watch like a video demo. So I was like, okay, you know what? That I'm actually willing to see a demo. I click on this link and where do they send me? Not their own website, not where they can track me. They send me to YouTube. Totally. Yep. And I get to YouTube and I actually started watching the, the video. It was, it was actually pretty good. But then you've got that panel on the side with all the suggestions. And I start glancing to the right and like, there's this video about like 10 ways to get wealthy in 2021 by Warren Buffett. And I'm like, yep. that's what I care about right now. Right. I'm like, yeah, I don't remember what this demo is even about or who sent me the email. You lose me on those pages. Yeah. And, and that's where we come back to this idea that, you know, we've got to arm sales reps to be an extension of our marketing air cover. And, and we need to make sure that they, first of all, don't send those seven hyperlinks, but one link one destination where, as we said earlier, they can go and they can binge as much content as they need to get to that buying decision. And that's something that you know requires partnership, requires collaboration. Uh, it's, it's something that our own product at Uberflip has kind of evolved towards just you know, listening to, to marketers and listening to sales reps and, and seeing these challenges you know, that, that are sent to us all day long. We, we've just learned to, to live with them. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I was I was looking at your book on Amazon, uh, which everybody can go check out. It's just F content marketing focus 
on content and experience to drive demand, revenue and relationships. But so I was looking at it and, uh, and Amazon is like, you know, like upgrade to Kindle, like enjoy great Kindle experience, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, Hey, Amazon, can you, can you slow down a little bit? I'm not, I'm not looking for a Kindle. I'm just looking for, uh, for the paperback for, for my boy's book here. But it's funny that, that you mentioned the, uh, the YouTube example. It's the same sort of thing, right? If you were to promote your book, but just by shoving Amazon links in people's faces all the time versus like pushing back to, to where people can, uh, can find your stuff. It's like, Amazon doesn't want to sell this book. They want to sell 5 million other things to you, you know, including this book. Uh, and you need to be able to control that, whether it's Amazon or, or, or Google or, or wherever it is, or YouTube. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we come back to this with the idea of content marketing and you can argue this, but you know, one of the definitions that's out there is, is that it's content that you own. Right. And, and, one of the things I often say is when, when we put content on YouTube, when we when we put content on Twitter, et cetera, we've kind of got to view that as, as releasing it out, right? Because we do own it, but then it's on us to figure out how we're going to get them back there. And that's something that we, we've got to think about. I'm not suggesting your, your content shouldn't be on YouTube or it shouldn't be posted to social. It can be, but you've got to make sure that where possible, we create a path for them to come and start to have a relationship with us, the brand. And, and once we have that relationship, once we have that opt-in, now we start to get, be able to get opt-ins to, to communicate with them directly, not through these, these leased properties that, we, that we're leveraging. Yeah. And the point that you were making was not don't have your demo on YouTube. You should absolutely have your demo on YouTube because it makes it more searchable and findable and all that sort of stuff. The issue, or the issue that you took with that was the sales rep sent you to YouTube. The sales rep should not be sending you anywhere but your own website. It's hard for that rep. Like if, if we, the marketer, aren't getting that rep, the latest demo link in some sort of well-structured content experience, they're, they're just doing their best. They're resourceful, right? Like you, you watch sales reps find content. It is hilarious, right? Like where do they go? They go to like Google and they start searching for their own company's content. It's almost like it's their own wiki. Yeah, you're so right. Right. The, pro- the problem with Google that we have to remember is Google is indexing what's relevant over time. It's not relevant right now. It's not what you want your company to be leveraging this week versus last week. You know, Google is looking over, over you know, extended time and extended search. And that's where we need the right systems in place to ensure that just as marketing would never do that, I hope, that our sales reps won't do that. And, and that's, you know, this is that, that you know, area where, where I think it is on marketing to really arm and work with sales to, to make that possible. So it brings up another thing, which is when to send people off of your site and when that is important, which I think what we're seeing now is, which is part of that, you know, like that 80% consideration phase or whatever you want to call it, which is sites like G2 and, uh, and others that are places where you're being reviewed, where people are talking about you, um, where things like that are happening. This is something that I think everybody's trying to figure out how to incorporate this into their content, in, into their marketing for years and years and years. If you're a magic you know, quadrant leader and all that sort of stuff, that's going to be plastered all over your marketing. Uh, and you got you to gotta link up to you know, that dreaded, uh, that dreaded page that, that you got a link to Gartner or whatever. 
and becomes uh, potentially a black box there. But um, how should people think about leveraging these like peer review sites or or things like that into their uh, into their content stack, especially as it regards to personalization, where this is something where, hey, if somebody comes to your site and you have, you know, 4.9 out of 5 on G2, like you absolutely want to people to know uh, and to get that information. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and first off, I'm a big fan of G2 and, and what they built and also just how up-to-date and relevant it is and, and not to trash analysts because uh, I, I think analysts have a specific role to play. But for sure, you know, G2 is our peers, right? And, and same with TrustRadius and all these other solutions like that. I think the, the unique element of that, you know, not to get away from your real question, when do we send someone off a site, but just focusing on those the opportunity with those platforms is to remember they're data platforms, right? As much as they're review sites, they're data platforms and, and they, they productize all that data. So the way I look at it is, you know, we've got to embrace it for what it is, but fortunately we can actually access and leverage that data, you know, to understand the path of our buyer. So that's, I, I think that's an important, you know, distinction with that. Other than, than something like a G2, though, I would argue you should you should really avoid sending someone off your site. You know, you've got to find ways to bring stories to your site. I'm not suggesting that there's not a role for our brand voice to play off our website, but that's that's what your PR agency is for. That's you know to ensure that that you have coverage off-site that is ideally also bringing you back on site. Right. And, and that's the role that has to kind of balance between, you know, the content experience and more so, you know, brand coverage. Well, and that's and that's where we've seen over the years people do this for, you know, company X named uh, named a leader in the in the magic quadrant or whatever that is the magic quadrant. But they'll write a blog post about that. Right. And then that'll be on like their hero image or something like that for their website. And then they have a post about it. You know, and, and a lot of times that that links out, but there's ways to do those sort of things and to still put it on your own website for them to read why without, you know, having to to link out. I mean, ultimately, like maybe some people are going to go read the report, but a lot of people aren't. They're just going to put it in their deck of like why they're going to buy this product when they're talking to their boss. And they're just going to, one of the bullet points is, you know, 4.7 out of five stars on G2, you know, leader in the, in the or magic quadrant, like good to go. Absolutely. I mean, you're so right. And, and, and I'm, I wish I had data on this. It'd be really interesting how many people actually read those reports versus the visibility of seeing, you know, the placement as, as you put it. And, and I would argue that it's, you know, what, what buyers are looking at those analysts for, for G2 for is just assurance. That's, that's really what it is. And, you know, that they're on the right track. You know, more of the practitioner, uh, I, I think a lot of the value that a lot of these analyst reports and, and whatnot bring is to the practitioner who's going to own that technology after the fact, you know, of, of understanding how to best leverage. But, you know, a lot of, of the more senior leadership when it comes to these technology reports, they're just looking for a thumbs up that you've got that approval. Okay, we're, uh, we're almost out of time here, Randy. It's been, it been awesome chatting with you so far. All right. Our lightning round, as always, is brought to you by our best friends at Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. You can learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, that is Salesforce. Been with us since episode one, and we love them. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Randy, are you ready? Let's do this. Number one. 
What is one marketing campaign that you've seen recently that you're jealous of? Well, you know, I will say my friend Udi at, uh, at Gong. Yeah. They've done some cool stuff. You know, even just seeing a B2B brand like that have a Super Bowl spot, I think, uh, yeah, it just represents B2B's mainstream. Totally agreed. Udi's the man. Do you have a book or a podcast or TV show or something like that that you're binging recently other than Shit's Creek, which you already mentioned? I just read through a book recently and I, I just passed it on to a friend, which is why it's coming to mind. It's The Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger, who's uh, the Disney CEO for the last, I don't know if it was 10 or 20 years, but uh, it's fascinating. And I, and I think there's a lot of great lessons on leadership and, and also just you know the role of content. It was an undertone and obviously different content that we're talking about today, but same purpose. It's, it's what locks people in. So that got me excited. Any personalization that you've seen recently that you were like, wow, this is pretty amazing? It's a good question. I, I'd say not a lot of personalization is really wowing me these days, but I, you know, I've been, I'm admiring the people who are finding ways to create trust for me to give my home address. Yeah. Right. I mean, like that's a, that's a whole other degree of trust. And I think personalization really comes down to trust. You know, we're in it, we're in, you know, unprecedented times, whatever you want to call these, you know, and the, a lot of us have said direct mail is done at least for the time being, but, you know, I've given my address three or four times in the last six months, you know, you could never get me, get me to give my cell phone. Now I'm giving my home address to these companies. That's wild. So, you know, and that comes from them showing that they're going to, you know, personalize something to me in, in a trusting manner. What is your best advice for a first time CMO? I think the, the best advice to the CMO is you're, you're there to motivate your team, but you're there to let your team shine. And you, know, you need them to step up because if you try and do it all, that's just not possible. I mean, I like you, you and I get to run a podcast and every, every week I chat with CMOs. It's called The Marketer's Journey. And that's the trend that I hear from people. It's, it's like making sure you're not the smartest person in the room and being excited when you get to hire that next person to take over the demand piece if you're a demand marketer or the brand piece if you're a brand marketer because it allows you to, to get more focus on the strategy. Awesome. Well, thanks so much uh, for joining today. It's been great having you on the show. All of our listeners, go check out uberflip.com. Really a great website too and, uh, and lots, of, lots of great content, obviously. So go check out uberflip.com if you haven't already. Randy, any, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Uh, you know, I, I think you've done a great job uh, plugging on my behalf. You can get the book on Amazon. Like you said, you can come to Uberflip. And maybe one thing, if you're curious, you know, the book, the book talks about a framework called the Content Experience Framework, and we now have a certification. Uh, so you can go to academy.uberflip.com and you can become certified at Content Experience, which is something that we, we hit on today and, and something I think makes every marketer more well-rounded. Awesome. Thanks again, Randy. Appreciate it. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.